welcome to Wealth Matters, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. This show was presented to you by Gaslowitz Frankel, a law firm dedicated to resolving disputes involving your wealth, whether through your will, your trust, your business, or your investments. For news, pictures, and tips, go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com or follow us on Twitter at a state dispute. Our show's hashtag is Wealth Matters. Your hosts today are Craig Frankel and Adam Gaslowitz, and we're talking about retirement planning for overworked business owners. So let's introduce our guest today. Uh, today, we're pleased to have with us J.P. Curcio, Vice President at Alliance Bernstein, Richard Wilcox, partner at Carr, Riggs, and Ingram, and Morgan Ledecky, partner at Cohen and Caproni. And before we start, let me uh, just have each of you uh, tell our guests who and uh, what you are. So, Richard, you want to start? Sure. Thank you for uh, having me today. My name is Richard Wilcox. I'm a partner with Carr, Riggs, and Ingram. We are a regional CPA firm. We deal with closely held businesses and their owners and do tax planning and financial uh, planning for them. JP? Craig and Adam, thank you very much for having me on the show today. I am with Alliance Bernstein. We are a wealth management firm. We are based in New York. We have 47 offices in 23 countries around the world, 17 offices here in the United States. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Um, I am with Cohen and Caproni. We are a law firm in Sandy Springs, and we uh, deal with both uh, business law, mostly closely held business owners, um, but we also do tax planning and estate planning, so wills, trusts, that sort of thing. Okay. Morgan, let's start off with you. So you own a business. When should you start planning for retirement? Always as early as possible. I know for a lot of people who own a business, though, their goal is to grow the business. So in their mind, they always have time to plan for retirement. They could do it later. Anything that they're making, usually they're sort of dumping back in the business to try to keep growing as much as possible. They, they feel like they can't um, sock it away somewhere else because no, 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 this year the business either didn't do what I wanted it to do or something came up and now we want to grow in this area versus this area. And so they feel like we have to keep putting it back in. So it's still always better to put it away. I know that some of our other uh, guests here can talk about the growth over time once you're actually putting it away and how that benefits you when you start sooner rather than later. Uh, yes. Um, we've seen in our clients that they feel more comfortable investing in their own business. They know their business. Sometimes when they put money in the stock market and the stock market drops 10%, they get worried and, and nervous and they feel that they can control their own business better than the stock market. But it, it, it is a good idea to diversify their holdings and get not have all their eggs in one basket of this one entity that's creating their income currently and their future retirement down the road. Well, a lot, a lot of them also feel like their their business is going to be so successful they don't need to worry about putting some money in a retirement plan because at the end of the day, the business is going to be wildly successful and that will be the retirement plan. Exactly. So, so the view is when you say putting the money in the business, what you're saying is the business will grow and that's the retirement. So why worry about retirement? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that we find in our experiences, and it's very funny, particularly as business owners get a little bit later in the cycle and owning their business, the analogy we always use is ask my wife what she thinks my house is worth, and she's going to tell you a number. And then send a realtor in with a prospective buyer, and that number is going to be not the same, and it's going to be lower. So it's very important for business owners to 
have some cognizance of that in the back of their minds and to begin planning as soon as possible. So let's talk about you're in your business and you're doing it the way Richard said, which is I'm investing in my business because I'm smarter than everybody else. And at some point, you either realize you're not as smart as everybody else because your spouse tells you, or you look at your business and realize it's not spending enough out, out enough money. And I got to finally start thinking about something else. What's the something else? Well, there are a lot of different, um, you know, usually one of the first things we recommend is, is retirement plans. Um, the most common one people all know about and everybody's had is a 401k, but there's different plans like a, uh, a SEP IRA, a simple plan, some other type of plans that allow the owner to take a tax deduction, which is very, very beneficial to them, which uh, reduces their current year taxes and actually keep the money. And that's still true even with the new tax code. Even with the new tax code. Small business, big business, green business. All, all businesses still get to deduct their profit sharing contributions. Um, is there a benefit to doing one kind of plan over another? All these plans are very different and they're, you know, it's a facts and circumstances type situation. So um, some of the plans like the 401ks are, are more complicated. The simple uh, SEP IRAs are a lot more, are a lot simpler, a lot less expensive to run. Um, depends on the amount of employees you have. Um, you know, what kind of benefits you want to offer your employees. So is it a, is it the type of situation where as the business grows, the kind of plan the company might have might change? I remember my, my firm originally had a set plan, but it was originally just me. It was easy to have a set for me. But once we finally had a lot of employees, we ended up switching to uh, a different type of plan that, that covered the entire firm. Are most firms going to go through that sort of transition? Most firms will go through that transition. They'll start off with the most basic, simplest plan. And as they get more employees, as they, as they want to try to incentivize their employees, um, you know, as you grow, you want, you know, a more robust plan and there's a lot more, you know, costs and complexities, but as you get bigger, you can, you can handle those costs and complexities easier. You know, building on what Richard just said, that's a very good point that you made with respect to as the company grows and develops, when you have a more robust uh, let's call it a profit sharing plan, which you might layer on top of one of the plans that we originally discussed. You can use that as an employee retention tool as well as a recruiting tool. Think of a business owner who has perhaps an example as, as a medical practice and that doctor is recruiting over at Emory and they're trying to get the very best and talented, most talented folks. And they're discussing the plans that they have and then a different firm might not have the same kind of robust plans offered. And that is a retention tool as well as a recruiting tool. What's the difference between a profit sharing plan kind of on the one hand and a retirement like a SEP or a simple or 401k on the other? What's the, what's the difference? Interestingly, the profit sharing plan is at the discretion of the employer. So that is a contribution that the employer can choose to make in a given year, or they can choose to not have a, don a good donation to the profit sharing plan in a given year. So, so if an employer uh, wants to have a, a retirement plan of some sort so that he can contribute to his own retirement, wants to have something that covers the employees but doesn't want to, doesn't want to or can't afford to contribute to their retirement plan, just wants a plan where everybody can contribute to their own, what are they going to go with, some sort of a 401k plan? Yes, exactly. I think Richard would probably be best for us to speak to that. Uh, yeah, that, that's usually the typical plan that people do. And then, then you have employee contributions. So employees this year can contribute up to $18,500 to their own retirement. 
Without the employer contributing. Without anything. the employer contributing a dime. Okay. And um, so that that's a benefit for the employees. Um, if you know, if one employee wants to contribute, they can. Um, employee, the next one does not. They don't have to. So it's it's very flexible in that manner. But does it matter, uh, Morgan? Does it matter how the company is structured with regard to any of these plans? Does it matter whether you're an LLC or an S corp or a C corp or anything else? Um, I think it matters less the type of company and more the employees, how many owners there have, things like that. The structure comes more into effect less on retirement and more on sort of income tax planning. But, but, but the structure is not going to affect what kind of plans they can have, right? I yeah, no, no. Any any entity can have any type of plan, okay. basically. All right. Um, and, uh, JP, you and I talked about uh, cash balance plans. That would be... Uh, a plan that somebody who wanted to sock away a lot more money could uh, potentially use. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Yes, thanks very much, Adam. So a cash balance plan is a hybrid plan. It has elements of a defined benefit plan as well as elements of a defined contribution plan. And the thing that you need to think about as a business owner of considering a cash balance plan is do you have the capacity and the desire to set aside more than $54,000 in a given year. So there's a couple of precursors or backdrop requirements that companies Slow down, slow down. So the first thing is you're going to want to actually have both the desire and the ability to go over 54000 That's exactly right. So that, right. that's the first step. How much am I going to be able to put aside? And then you start going to what are my options? Because if your answer is, I think you said 18000 For 18500 for the 401k. If you're 18000 you know your answers. Correct. But if you're 56, now we got to start thinking. Correct. Well, what's interesting about cash balance plans too is in our experience at Alliance Bernstein, when a company considers doing a cash balance plan, usually a third of the partners or a third of the owners are interested in doing it. A third are somewhat on the fence and a third are still at a point in their life cycle where they're still spending a lot of their income. And so that's not a decision that they're ready to make at that time. So different partners can do different things with regard to contribution? That's absolutely correct. And that's the beauty of the cash balance plan is there's flexibility around the partners or the owner's desire to contribute to the plan. How does it affect the employee? The, there's an element that the, uh, it's almost a pay to play element whereby the owners of the business will have to increase their contributions to the profit sharing plan in order to make a contribution to the cash balance plan on their own behalf. So they're going to have to benefit their employees while they're benefiting themselves. Right. And in order to avoid uh, discriminatory concerns, you generally comp, you pay, you put into comp, into non-highly compensated employees, uh, profit sharing plans. Typically it's already largely done on behalf of the employee, but you can just augment the current contribution. Define for us. So, so if you talk to my spouse, highly compensated has a very different meaning than if you talk to the IRS or somebody else. Um, so what, what, what does highly compensated mean? $120,000 in a given year. Okay. So, so uh, Morgan, when we're looking at, at these plans and we're talking about how you figure out the money, so you started off saying, well, gosh, when you're looking at what limited money you have starting a business, you kind of want to put your money in the business. And one of those questions is, do I have to, comp- do I have to match or not match employees? And do, is it or is it not deductible? Are there, are there other things we should be thinking about the small business owner? or the, the large business owner, but is, when we're starting off as to, gosh, what is it going to really cost me now? Well, part of what any business owner needs to be considering when they first start is what happens when I want out. So, and, and when they're thinking about putting their own money back into their business and that's my retirement plan, I don't care about all these other accounts. My retirement plan is what my business is because I'm going to grow it. 
So how do I get my money out? Right. So how do I get my money out? So there's businesses that it is one owner and there's businesses that it's multiple owners. Uh, With multiple owners from the beginning, do some sort of agreement, whether it's a shareholder agreement, operating agreement, depends on the type of entity. I prefer to call that in the uh, litigation world, a prenup. It is. (laughs) And I'm not being funny or I am being funny, but the reason why I say that is you're going to be your fairest Mm -hmm. when you're starting a business. What makes sense? And as the business changes and you think this person did a good job, bad job, contributed too much or too little, your view changes. So knowing upfront is a fair way of doing it. It, that's exactly what I tell my clients because I'm like, you're all, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know which partner is going to want to retire, which partner is going to die unexpectedly. It's easy to be unfair when you know which advantage you'll get, right? So when you're first starting out, everybody can make the fairest choice because it's, you'll know which choice you would want for yourself if it were you or your estate or you're, you're the one who's retiring and your partner's 20 years younger than you you're the one that then wants to be bought out because that's the way that your business turns into your retirement plan. Well, uh, you're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We're your hosts today, Craig Frankel and Adam Gaslowitz from the fiduciary litigation firm of Gaslowitz Frankel. We're talking today with J.P. Curcio, a vice president at Alliance Bernstein, Richard Wilcox, partner at Carr, Riggs and Ingram, and Morgan Ledecky, partner at Cohen and Caproni. Um, with a lot of these businesses, you don't have people who, you know, two partners start a business and they grow it together and they're probably going to retire about the same time. A lot of times you have a business that starts and, and grows over time and takes on new partners over time and, and, and morphs into other things. And so, so the retirement schedules are going to be very different. Uh, does, does the fact that some people are going to retire you know, tomorrow and some people are going to retire 10 or 15 years from now uh, change how you structure these retirement plans or is there no, no difference in that? I mean, if you're talking specifically about if the retirement plan is the business, then that's that's one thing. But, you know, if it's actual like, you know, 401k or, or IRA. Yeah. And the uh, the 401k, you can make special allocations to to uh, on the profit sharing side to contribute to uh, older partners more so than younger partners. So the way you structure that could help the, the older, you know, closer to retirement partners get more for their retirement. And like JP said, the younger partners want the cash because they still have their house payment and car payments and kids going through school and, and stuff like that. So they need the, the well, cash. I, I imagine it's particularly going to be the case when, uh, in, in the example I just gave, the, the, the original partners who have been in the business a long time are going to be uh, further along uh, towards retirement, but are the ones who, because they were starting the business, may not have set aside a lot of money. So they're going to want to have some way to catch up, whereas the people who are newer to the partnership or business uh, are still earlier on in their career. They don't have the same need to push away, put away a lot of money early on. Exactly. You know, Adam, that's actually where a cash balance plan for a more mature business can really be helpful because the cash balance plan can be structured to have a set life, considered to be anywhere from four years to seven years. And then at the termination of that plan, those older partners can take the proceeds from their cash balance plan and roll it into an IRA. So when a cash balance plan, let's let's understand this, is the money coming out is, is, is deductible when it's paid? Is it taxable when it's paid? When What happens? It's tax-deferred compensation. So you reduce your tax bill in the given year when you make the contribution. We would argue at Alliance Bernstein that that contribution, that deferral benefit is 2% per year 
on top of whatever the cash balance. In other returns. words, just the delay itself is worth 2%. That's exactly right, Craig. And we think that's powerful. And when you consider that, again, it allows for the more, as Adam mentioned, the more senior partners to catch up on their retirement savings when they put a lot into the business early on. And they want to be able to take those monies out at either the t- turning age 62, or if for some strange reason they were to leave the firm, they can roll that into an IRA, which can then be invested in any way that that individual would care to do. In the profit sharing or a cash balance plan, can you have unequal contributions from the business? So for example, with Gasowitz Frankel, you know, notwithstanding the order of the names, Frankel's obviously more important and has given a substantially larger contribution <laughs> in every way. So let's assume we make $100 million in a given year, but Adam and I decide that I really deserve more. Is there a way for the business itself, not Adam or me personally, but the business giving a greater contribution for one partner over another? No, that at the outset of the plan, the, deter- the contributions per partner are predetermined. And so that's actually an important point to talk about. Thanks for bringing that up, Craig. When a firm decides to implement a cash balance plan, their owners need to consider that the cash flows that they commit to the plan are cash flows that they can commit to from anywhere from five to seven years, depending upon the length of that cash balance plan. So it's a a predetermined length of time? Correct, exactly. And again, there's flexibility around each partner's contribution levels. So it's just dependent upon that partner's desire and capacity, as Craig mentioned earlier, to defer beyond the 54,000 we mentioned. And just so we're clear, those contributions are coming from the business, not from the partner's own income? No, that's a great question. Thank you very much for bringing that up. That's actually the partner's deferring their own income. So there's really very little costs to the business. It's the partner making the decision, not the business. Correct. The business is just making the decision to set up the plan. Exactly right. And the costs associated with the plan are paid for by the plan participants. So there's really very little cost to the, to the plan itself or to the company, I should say. Okay, Richard, I want to get really simple here. Um, notwithstanding that we're talking about a simple (laughs) IRA. So we defer the tax. When the tax becomes due, when does it become due and at what rate is it going to be charged? Well, the benefit of these deductions on the 401k plan is, is you're typically taking those deductions when you're at your highest tax rate, you know, your peak earning years. The plan funds will be taxable once you take them out of the plan. So you typically in retirement. And at that point, they're going to be taxed at your rate at the year that you take it out. Uh, typically in retirement, your income is way down. So you may be taking a, a deduction today at 37%, then pulling the money out when you retire at 65 and you know, being taxed at 25%. Is there any thought now or issues now that sometimes if you're in a pass-through entity and you're either not in a service industry or you're not making above 415,000, uh, you own a grocery store, let's say, that you're actually getting a deduction of 20% or something so that the rates, income tax rates now are pretty low. Whereas as you retire, it's going to be based straight on income. It's going to be a little higher. Is that something we need to be thinking about? Uh, that is a great point. You know, the, the, uh, they just passed this new tax act uh, back at the end of last year that does create a 20% pass-through deduction, which basically, if, if you fall in certain categories, it takes your... Uh, income from that business from 37% down to approximately 30%. So I still think based on that, you know, typically in retirement, you would still have a lower taxable income and, and you can, you know, you can uh, plan your distributions 
hopefully to minimize those taxes as well, to not take them all out in uh, one year. Any idea what the tax rates will be when we retire? I, I know that. <laughs> if, if I knew that, I would, I'd probably be retired. <laughs> what, um, what about uh, companies where, where there's just one owner? A lot of employees, but one owner. The owner wants to, instead of selling it to the public, wants to sell the company to his employees. You know, an ESOP type plan or some other type of plan. Is that a, a, a viable retirement option? Uh, yes, I mean obviously that's that is a viable retirement option. We we typically well, let, let's, that's for our for our listeners. What's an ESOP? Um, an ESOP is an acronym for an, an employee stock ownership plan, which basically uh, the owner takes his company and sells it to his employees. We don't typically see a lot of those. We have a few. They're 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 kind of complicated, but they do have some advantages. For those that are looking into it, um, has anybody else seen many of those? We rarely see business owners want to do something that complicated. It's it's very complicated for them to go through. Um, in our experience, most business owners want to sell at some point and take their money, and that's my retirement, and we're moving on. Um, but with one business owner, that's that's the complication: is who buys your business and what is it worth if you're not there to run it. Okay, so we, we know we have the option at the end of the business cycle that why the, the owner or owners are willing to sell. And if you have a willing buyer and the market is great, in other words, good luck, everything happens. You know, we can all take good things happening to good people. But let's assume that you can't bank on that. What other options are there available for the business owners to try to plan for the business transition other than hoping there's going to be a very wealthy overpaying buyer? Um, one of the things we advise our clients, we look well into the future. You know, once our clients start reaching age 50, 55, even though they're not going to get out of the business for another 10 years, we start having those discussions today. You're not going to retire for 10 years. I understand that, but you need to plan at least five to 10 years early, especially if you're the one person owner to get the management team in there, to get your financials ready for sale, to do the things that you need to do to present a good um, business that's viable for sale and, and having good financials, a good management team, and, and start talking to, to your um, you know, people in your industry to let them know what's going on and try to try to understand what's going on in the marketplace. Yeah, more, okay, more Morgan, how many people actually do that? <laughs> uh, all, all of Morgan's clients. Yeah. <laughs> of course, all of my clients. At her behalf. That. At Morgan's behalf. <laughs> um, hopefully more rather than less, but we advise them to do that. So I, most of our clients do do that. Most of our clients, um, in addition to that, will also look for that younger partner that they can bring in. You know, we'll put feelers out there and say, okay, I know I'm retiring in 10 years, 15 years. I really want this to continue. It may not be a, I take my money and run type scenario, but it's, let's see who we can bring on board. Let's see if we can basically keep this business going without hoping there's just some rich buyer who will take it over and run it even if I'm not here, which is rare. Uh, it depends on the type of business. Um, but most will, when they come and seek our guidance, it's okay, let's get everything in order. Whether you're then just going to sell it or really do you want to put feelers out there, bring in a younger person, 
I'll call it groom them, whatever the industry may be. And then there will be a plan in place as far as, okay, when the older person wants to taper off, maybe there's one or more younger people who are already set to sort of buy them out. This, this is actually where we partner very well with firms like Car Rings and Ingram and Cohen and Caproni. Pre-transaction planning for a business owner can not only help them be prepared for the eventuality of what they need to live on once the business is sold, it actually can be used to back into what multiple or what EBITDA number that business owner should drive their company to. Yeah, EBITDA, you'll have to explain that. <laughs> Earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. It's really a profitable Say that three number. times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I can. Uh, so it's very important for business owners to be able to consider not only the eventuality of the sale, but also sometimes the number that they need to get their business to. So it's a strategic implementation. And, and I call this reality testing. Asking yourself truthfully with guidance, with professional guidance, what do I have? What do I need? And what will it take me to get there? Exactly. And this is really where folks like Richard and Morgan and myself all partner together to be the true advice surrounding a business owner's uh, goals. They can get the uh, taxable advice from Morgan. They can get the accounting advice from Richard. And then they can get the pre-transaction planning from us. So we all work as a team to help that business owner Again, think through not only just the sale, because that's obviously the fun part, but actually thinking about where they need to get their business to in order to make it a viable entity for sale. So all, all the things we're talking about are, are different depending on whether you're talking about outside sales or, or sales to other family members or, or passing the business on to your children or, or, or family members. How does it change? How does the discussion change in that case? Because if you're someone who is, who is planning on retiring based on the value, the value of your business, and you're leaving the business to your kids who may or may not be prepared to run it. Uh, you may be putting at risk your entire retirement, right? Well, you haven't monetized. Well, and that, that does depend on a big part. How are, how are you leaving it to your kids? Are you really just planning on running this business until you die and then literally leaving it to your children? That's what the kids generally think. Right? Yeah, that, yeah. that is exactly what the kids usually think. Most business owners I deal with, the only reason they want to quote unquote leave it to the children is if one or more of them work in the business. And, you know, it really is going to be older generation runs it until they die, even though they don't go in but once a month, but that's them still being the person, right? Mm -hmm. And the kid who might be 65 is really been running the business. Um, and so then they're- I get it even older sometimes. <laughs> I, I've had a client tell me that she didn't trust her younger son anymore. And therefore, don't let him run the business. He was 75. <laughs> but yeah, but yeah. if you're going to bring your kids into the business, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, I mean, easily a third of the disputes we see are, are bad business transitions. People don't plan well enough on how to transition a business to the next generation. Either they give it to, equally to all the kids, whether they work in the business or not, or they give control to some kids and not other kids. And, and, and there's an imbalance of power there. How do you deal with those sorts of issues? I know that you, you're firm handles that sort of thing a lot. We do. And of course, we see it on a different side than you see it. Well, you, you see you, it when you, it's gone wrong. Yes, and you get we're, you get to plan it. That's why we never trying. see we never we're, see your cases no, in our office. No, never. So. Mm -hmm. um, we're try, we try to plan so it doesn't go to your office, yes. right? So it, it, it the issue with any family business, someone who is actually trying to pass it on to another generation as opposed to selling it to their other partners or to some third party, are family issues. And you guys are very, very well aware of all sorts of family issues. Sometimes they don't get along well. Well, they don't. Yeah. And a lot of times, especially with more than one child, 
Usually one child works in the business, the other child doesn't. Uh, Even if both do, maybe one has actually been growing it, running it, you know, is president, really been doing everything. The other person answers the phones, but they work in the business, right? So parents have a very difficult time separating the business fairness from what they think they should do for their children in fairness, right? Fair is not always equal and equal is not always fair. Uh, It it just, and every parent feels differently. Every business owner feels differently about how they want their business to continue. I have people who feel very strongly that, you know, the business is mainly going to the person who's working there, running it, doing everything. And we will in turn leave either a lower percentage or other assets to our other children to sort of equalize, compensate them for the fact that they're not really getting much of the business. Other parents say, let's leave it equally, which then comes to you usually. Yeah. And, and I imagine you've all had conversations <laughs> with your clients with regard to you know, investment issues, with regard to tax issues on these same matters, right? Exactly. It's, it's, it's easily the most complicated issue dealing with family members and how to allocate you know, the business or the resources or the retirement. When you, when you get into the weeds with business owners, the amount of technical advice you're dispensing versus the amount of counseling you do goes to 99% counseling and 1% technical advice. But you're not licensed to counsel. Let's think about that. <laughs> you're listening to Wealth Matters, the radio show where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. We are your hosts, Craig Frankel and Adam Gasowicz from the fiduciary litigation law firm of Gasowicz Frankel. We're talking today with Richard Wilcox, partner at Carr, Riggs, and Ingram, Morgan Ludek, part- Ludecki. Ludecki, mispronounced. <laughs> Ludecki. Ludecki. Partner We're at- We're never going to get this. My partner's name is uh, Adam Glasowitz, I mean Gasowitz, <laughs> and J.P. Curcio, uh, <laughs> vice president at Alliance Bernstein. Let's, let's back off and be a little more simple. When you have a 401k or a simple plan, is there a time where you have to take the money out? There is a time when you have to take the money out. There's uh, The IRS has uh, in plan called Required Minimum Distributions, RMDs. And a, the year you turn age 70 and a half, you have to start taking um, distributions from your retirement plan. And that applies to IRAs, simple SEPs, 401ks, yes, everything. 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 Unless you're still, there's one exception to that. If you're less than a 5% owner and which most of our clients are not, been still working in the business. So you can be over age 70 and a half and still have a job. You don't have to start taking distributions from the retirement plan that you're working at, but you do have to take retirement plan or distributions from your IRAs and other retirement plans that you have. And JP, ask the same question regarding profit sharing plans or cash balance plans that you've used for retirement. Is there a time where you have to take the money out? Well, no, the, de- the deferred compensation plans, the, Craig, that's the good point. It, why? One of the reasons that makes these plans so attractive to business owners is that because you can then roll them into an IRA, they're at the termination of the plan, departure from the firm or retirement, is that then those retirement monies don't need to be taken out until age seven and a half. Interestingly enough, one of the things that we kick around all the time is if you're a business owner or you're an individual facing retirement and you can actually afford your retirement. We encourage people to take their distributions earlier. We encourage people that need the money to live on for retirement to hold off as long as they can from taking those distributions, which is somewhat counterintuitive. So why would you say take it earlier if you can afford it? Because you don't run the risk of passing away. 
okay, let's ask that question. What happens when you pass away and your retirement benefits are still sitting there? What is that? Does it just go to your beneficiary? What's the big deal? It does. It does go to your beneficiary. Even if your beneficiary is an ex-spouse, keep, keep that in mind. Tell us why that is, because that is actually a problem we see all the time. It's a huge problem. So anything that is a, I don't be too technical, non-probate asset, it has a beneficiary designation, uh, retirement accounts, life insurance policies. Unfortunately, people you know, put beneficiaries on these types of accounts 40 years ago and just never think of updating it. If you leave an ex-spouse on there. If you leave, you know, a parent because you had a young child and you thought that was great planning, which they obviously didn't come see me because it's not great planning. Um, whoever's on the beneficiary designation is who the assets pass to, regardless and, of what their relationship is currently to. And I, and I do want to underscore that for our for our listeners, the majority of people's assets today that we see pass through beneficiary designations, mm -hmm. whether it be a brokerage account or a 401k or anything, it's the beneficiary designation that controls, not the will. Exactly. If there's a beneficiary named, that's a huge issue too. And every plan is different. Every company that runs a plan is, has their own rules as far as if a beneficiary isn't named or if a beneficiary that was named passed away in the meantime, and you hadn't updated it. Um, the worst case scenario for any retirement account is to have it go to your estate because the tax implications of that are that the entire retirement account has to be paid out within five years, period. All the income tax then, you lose all the years ahead of income tax deferral you'd get if it went to an individual or I'll say a trust, but it has to be a very specific type of trust. You lose that if you either name your estate or... The plan says if you either don't name a beneficiary or the beneficiary passed away, then it goes to your estate. So keeping up with your beneficiary designations is really important. So what you are saying, though, is if you do name an individual, let's say your child, uh, in theory and hopefully in practice, your child is going to be substantially younger than you, that they can defer in addition until they retire. Well, they then, let's say a parent passes away, they've named their two children. 50-50. So they, they, they were widowed. They didn't have a spouse. So their children then do rollover accounts, but they then each have to start taking the required minimum distributions each year, but it's based on their life expectancy, not their parents. So you can defer it longer. You can defer it much longer, but they do have to start taking them each year. They don't, have, they don't get to wait till they're 70 and a half. Is, is, the gotcha. fact, is the fact that people are living longer affecting any of your uh, advice? You know, interestingly, uh, Adam, one of the things that we've studied at Bernstein is if a married couple is age 65 right now with both spouses alive, we are we believe through our analysis that there's a 50% chance of one of the two of the spouses living to 92 and get this correct, a 25% chance of one of the spouses living to 97. Wh which spouse is it? <laughs> <laughs> Adam's already planning. <laughs> it's it's your spouse. Show. I want, I want, I want, I want, it, I want it to show. be me. <laughs> So, so the, the challenge that creates, obviously, Adam, is that when you plan for retirement, the planning has to be robust and it has to be planned for that the retirement is going to be a lot longer than I think a lot of business owners and a lot of individuals think. You're not going to have a very happy 10-year retirement and all of a sudden not wake up at age 79 and everything's fine and dandy. There's a really long, really, really great likelihood that you're going to live a lot longer than you And expect. I'm going to make it even more challenging. So the statistic is that if you are over 65 years old and you either are divorced or widowed, 
the likelihood of remarrying is over 50%. So you're going to have a second family. Does that affect your planning at all? <laughs> it affects my planning a lot. <laughs> what I'm advising clients. It gives me great pause. <laughs> my, my grandmother remarried for the third time when she was 78 to, to somebody who was 83. That, uh, that went well in the family. <laughs> Uh, is that something when we're dealing with, let's ask the question a little uh, uh, less humorously. Is that something that, that we're now starting to worry about when we're doing planning with IRAs and retirement planning? The fact that we're going to have very often blended families, sometimes not yet blended, but, but often already blended, where you have a first set of children from a first marriage. Now you've remarried and that spouse may or may not have children. Or you're looking to it and realistically say, you know, there's when I die, there there may be somebody else coming in with the family. Is that does that change how you do uh, retirement planning? It doesn't necessarily change how I do retirement planning. It changes how I do their estate planning, <laughs> and yeah. and maybe if they're still working and still in the business as opposed to remarrying. It was seventy five, eight, seventy eight, seventy eight. Mm. Um, she was retired by then. Okay, see. Right. So if they're still in the business and they're trying to plan around an extended family, you know, it obviously depends on what they want to do. I mean, someone who gets remarried at 40 and the blended family is your family for the next 40 years, sometimes people want to do different things for the blended family than if maybe they only, their stepchild is 60 and, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, maybe they, they just met them and, you know, they don't necessarily really want to plan for them. So it's not about retirement accounts, but... Yeah, I think from the retirement account planning side, there there probably isn't much with that except for um, you know making sure your be, uh, designated beneficiaries are updated and kept up to date. Before we wrap up, let me ask one one last question regarding philanthropy. Is there any particular um, good or bad way of using your business for philanthropic purposes in terms of you know how you sell it, how you pass it on? Um, Maybe assets coming out of the business going to charity. Any any last minute thoughts on that? Not necessarily in the business. I I would say that something has come up here recently with the new tax law changes and the amount of the increase in the standard deduction and the decrease in the state taxes allowed. We do see a lot more clients asking about donor advised funds and contributing. Um, you know, a, a large portion one time to get a big deduction and then taking the standard deduction in subsequent years. I think donor advised funds are going to become a lot more prevalent um, going forward as a, as a, you know, giving and tax planning strategy as opposed to the, the old rule way people used to do it with the, with the tax law changes. Can people contribute a piece of their business to a donor advised fund? I don't believe so. I, I don't, I've never seen that. And I, I think it has to be cash to, to do that. It, it does. And I guess my question, if someone asked me is why, why, why would you want to do that? I mean, you are giving up control of your business if it's a tiny portion, but usually people want as much control as possible. Anytime anybody comes to me, you're planning, how can I do all these things, but retain all the control? You know, Morgan and Richard are right about this. These donor advised funds are a great stepping stone for business owners from checkbook giving to perhaps a family foundation, or they can even work in conjunction with either strategy. Yeah, because it, it works really well, too, in the year of sale. So if you sell your business for $10 million, you want to get the maximum 
charity benefit. So you may want to give 10% of that or a million dollars to the donor advised fund. And then that, but you don't want to give all that money to the charity one year. You want to give you know a hundred thousand dollars a year for the next 10 years. So you get that benefit all in the year of the sale where it makes the most benefit tax wise. And then you can donate or you know give the donation over uh, over a five, 10, whatever period. And then you know, that those funds will continue to grow and, and you can create a legacy with your, with your family through this. Just one thing to be kept in mind is that once you do make that contribution that Richard's discussing to a donor advised fund and you actually get it managed and the money grows, I got a lot of clients asking me, so the growth in that account, can that be considered tax deductible in the year the growth occurred? And that's not the case. Once you make that contribution, the donor advised fund in the year you make the contribution, that's your tax deductibility. Yeah, but you still get to give the money away. Absolutely. You can have a greater charitable intent by the benefit of that money growing over time. We're we're nearing the end. So I'm going to ask each of you, you've got 60 seconds or less to tell me the most successful retirement planning story you've done or with your clients, one of your clients has done. JP, you get to start. Thanks. Uh, (laughs) Because you gave me the funniest look. I know you can't see that on the radio, but that's why you get it. (laughs) I I actually winked at Craig was what I did. Um, So I have a uh, business owner in Cumming who is a a dentist and he had an issue in his business where his accountant and his business partner did things that were inappropriate and he found himself in a big hole and a need to catch up. And we were able to help him by implementing a cash balance plan, even though he's a sole practitioner with three dental hygienists working for him and a receptionist. So that was a big success story, taking this person from being fearful of their retirement and being somewhat bitter about what had happened to them in the past and making them optimistic and giving them a chance to understand through proper planning where they can be in 10 or 12 years from now. This particular client is 53. Excellent. Richard, you got a success story? Um, I, unfortunately, none that comes to mind right now. I would just say, you know, it's, it's, it's not one. It's, I feel like we do this with all of our clients and, and it's, it's no big one home run I can think of, but it's a lot of singles and just getting people prepared and communicating, uh, having conversations with our clients and just, you know, the continual update and and making them aware of what's going on. Okay, Morgan, you're up. I also tend to agree with Richard because of what we do with the planning aspect. It's, It's getting clients ready to take that next step, selling the business, retiring, passing it on to their family. Although part of one of my favorite parts is when a client does have those home runs where they've grown the business themselves and, you know, we just closed a deal last week where single owner sold it for $10 million and she had grown it herself and she can then walk away going, hey, I'm, you know. I can leave my, uh, kid, I can leave I, my kids cash. I can, I can. You know, I'm less than 60 and this now this really is my retirement. So, so now let's talk about some philanthropy. I have some charities that I care a lot about. <laughs> right. So do you need a will? I'm, I'm open. <laughs> so as we wrap up our show, I want to thank everybody for listening to Wealth Matters where we discuss the opportunities and challenges of preserving and managing wealth. So before we end, Morgan, if one of our listeners wants to call you for more information to get that $10 million success story, who do they call? So they can call me at my office. The number is 404-252-8080. Because my name is complicated, I won't even bore (laughs) you with my email address, but you can you know, the firm has a website. It's Cohen and Caproni. And Caproni is so much easier. Well, yes, but I can't, I can't help that. <laughs> uh, but it's CohenandCaproni.com and all my information's on there as well. JP. 
The best way to reach me is through my office phone number, which is 404-279-4943. And much like Morgan, I wish my last name was Wilcox because it'd be a lot easier to get my email address out. But I will tell uh, those listening today that the website for the firm is Bernstein.com, www.bernstein.com. And Richard, how do our listeners get in touch with you? Yes, it's uh, my phone number is 770-457-6606. And our uh, website is www.cri cpa.com. Well, for more information about Gaslowitz Frankel, please go to our website at gaslowitzfrankel.com. That one's easy to spell, right? Uh, and remember to follow us on Twitter to state dispute uh, and use our show's hashtag Wealth Matters. Our guests today were J.P. Curcio, Vice President Bernst, Alliance Bernstein, Richard Wilcox, partner at Carr, Riggs, and Ingram, and Morgan Ludecki. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, I was so close to <laughs> partner at Cohen and Caproni. Please join us every fourth Wednesday of the month at 8.30 a.m. here at Wealth Matters on Business Radio X. <laughs>